Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast with Tim Stone, where I sit down with successful entrepreneurs to extract the knowledge you need to increase your income and avoid simple mistakes. You learn from their failures so you don't have to go through the same thing. I hope that you find one lesson you can apply to your life from this episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning into the Student of the Game. I'm Tim Stone here with our special guest today, Mr. Steve Trang. Steve, thank you for being here. Thank you for for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Steve has an incredible resume in uh, real estate, sales, business. He founded a bank. He's done all kinds of stuff. Uh, if you follow him on social media, you see a lot of his content, sales tips, training, and everything. Um, Steve, thank you for being here again. I really first want to, want to hear some of your story because I don't know much of your story. I've followed you for a while, but really, uh, I'm excited to dive into some of the tactics and the knowledge and mm-hmm. wisdom you have to share and how people can make some more money. But uh, I want to, want to hear your story, how you got started in all of this. Uh, well, I mean, it, I think if uh, to give proper context to the story, I think you have to talk about kind of like what got me here. And what got me here, I think, is probably just uh, the, the background, right? The upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so just going way, way back, uh, you know, my, my grandparents uh, were uh, merchants in China. Uh, they did fine until uh, communism took it all away. They fled to Vietnam. Started over, did every rebuilt everything, and the communism took over and took it all away. Right. So when my parents came here with me as an as an immigrant, I came here when I was seven months old. Coming here and ha- having generations generational theft multiple times, I think having that upbringing has made me an extreme capitalist. So I might offend people, but I'm an extreme <laughs> capitalist. Probably won't uh, offend anyone listening, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go for it. So I think that's the reason why if I seem capitalistic, that's the reason why, right? Like that, I think that's just having that family history. Uh, and I think the other thing too is, uh, as you can see, right? Asian, right? Asian upbringing. Uh, you get some sort of, uh, they call this the trifecta, right? Where these three things you, you tend to see happen with a lot of Asian kids, but a lot of other uh, minority groups as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, extremely, extremely confident, right? Uh, like they believe that they deserve success, um, but also low self-esteem, right? Uh, and then extremely competitive. Like those are the three things that generally mm-hmm. happen with the programming of growing up in an Asian family. And like I said, you know, also Mormon, Jewish, Nigerian, like is it, uh, Middle Eastern. Like there's all other demographics that happen the same thing as well. Mm-hmm. But if you want to see like what got me here, it's the combination of having things taken from your family multiple times, being raised with extremely high expectations. If you got a 90, 90 in the test, it's like, why didn't you study harder? That's yeah. <laughs> that's the upbringing that I've had. And then translate all that, then eventually I get into real estate, get into sales. And uh, once I, I sucked at sales for a majority of my career, and in, in 2018, I actually met a sales coach. And that transformed me from being a below average salesperson. I started off as a horrific salesperson. That brought me from being a below average salesperson to who I am today, having a sales coach to help you uh, actually learn to do sales the right way. Mm. And what was it you were selling? Because I I hear pretty often, like the average salesperson makes, I don't know what the number, but it's something like $30,000, $40,000 a year in commission. It's not very good. Not even be less. Yeah, most, I I think they were saying like the average realtor makes like 30, 40K a year. It's it's, it's pretty horrendous, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. So I was in real estate. So for the longest time, I was a realtor. And being a realtor, I, mean, I did better than those average numbers. 
But when I say below average, uh, I mean as far as like a close rate. Because I was willing to spend whatever was necessary in marketing to get the leads. I was never reluctant to spend money on marketing, right? It was really when I was in front of a homeowner and they told me that they needed to think about it, I didn't have any other solution. I was like, okay, well, you need to think about it. I guess you need to think about it, right? Because I didn't want to come across as a pushy salesperson. Exactly. And um, that's what hampered me. And now think about it is like a non-issue. Just walk right over that objection. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I always saw it. And now being in the industry, I understand there is a lot of sales and skill behind it. But I thought you get the leads, you get the house, and it'll sell itself. And if people don't yeah. want it, then it wasn't a good fit. Or if people don't want to sell their house, you know, it wasn't a good fit. But a lot of times there's just, it's going to help them. There's just some sort of objection you got to get through and get past. Mm-hmm. Um, so who, who was that that sales trainer? Like, What was the reason that was so huge for you to run into a sales uh, trainer and... I would say the biggest thing was you hear like most sales it's, I don't know. It's like a ethereal, it's amorphous, right? They don't really help you put it all together. So like you read some books to say, find pain, right? Hey, if they got pain, then for sure, like they're going to sell, right? But then mm-hmm. they don't give you the tactics, how to properly find pain. Right. So I think that's one thing. Uh, another thing would, uh, you'd read about tonality. And I think up until this training, Jordan Belfort was probably the best trainer on, on tonality. And he's still right. Mm. Excellent. Right. At tonality. That's the reason why he was able <laughs> to bilk all those old people, unfortunately out of money. Um, mm. so like, you know, he, he's, he's done a good job of teaching tonality, but even then his training is, is somewhat limited or is the trainings he's put out there is, is somewhat limited, uh, until you, you know, hit the high, the big ticket wall. Um, so that's the t- tonality component. Uh, there's not a lot talking about uh, seeking to understand the other person. You know, you hear this from Del Carnegie. You hear this from Stephen Covey, right? Seek first to understand before being understood. Be interested, not interesting, right? Like they talk about these things and, and it's great. But again, they're like concepts mm-hmm. without not. how to do it. And so mm-hmm. uh, I would say for me, the the trainer that I met with, uh, he was the first one to kind of put it all together and give me a stronger foundation. And what we did was we took that foundation and now we've incorporated all these different concepts into one place where all the things that I think are important in sales from all the books I've read, all the trainings I've taken is all centrally located in one place so that if you need whatever part of the sales process you're stuck in, we can help you right now. Mm. And is it industry specific, like mostly real estate, or do you see it translates to a lot of different industries? So I believe sales is sales. Sales is influence. It's um, persuading one person to do something that's in their best interest, something that they want. Uh, But our training as it stands today is really, really heavily focused in real estate, but we are expanding it to a uh, B2C framework, right? Business to consumer. We're not doing B2B. We're not doing the CEO, CFO, we got to get nine people in a room to sign off mm-hmm. on this contract and like a, a 12 month sales cycle. That's not what we're doing. Uh, we're doing business to consumer. So whether you're selling solar roofing, insurance, cars, whatever, that's the kind of application we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and you learned a lot of it, obviously talking to a lot of people and putting it into action and selling mm-hmm. a lot of houses. Like how, how long does it take to get a grasp of all of it? Because you look at the number, the average realtor making, Thirty, forty, fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Why isn't everybody figuring out these things? Why isn't more known? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you got to look at the demographic, right? So here's the sad reality: um, most realtors, you know, 
did not want to become a realtor. Uh, they became a realtor out of consequence, right? Like, I tried this, this didn't work. I tried that, that didn't work. I've tried this, it didn't work. Well, maybe I'll be a realtor. So the reality is most people in sales are in sales because they found themselves there. It's not because they sought that, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're not operating, if you're not living a life with intention, then you're going to live a life that is kind of like thrown your way, right? You're just kind of following the, uh, wherever the, the water, the, the, the river takes you. And the river gets you to about 30K a year. Yeah, right? about one house. So, <laughs> yeah. So really, it's like two or three houses. Like the average realtor sells about uh, two or three houses a year, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality of the business. So what's the problem then? Most people that are in sales believe that they're good in sales. That's the problem. So if you think you're good at sales, and guess what? You're not going to want to get better at sales. So if you don't want to get better at sales, then where are you at? You're stuck at the same crappy level of sales. Uh, I was talking to a colleague uh, this past weekend, and uh, we were having a conversation. And you know, the conclusion we came to was that good people, right? People that are good at something believe they're great. People that are great believe that they've got room to grow. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you think you're a good salesperson, well, then you're going to be a below average salesperson. If you're a great salesperson, what that means is that you're actually actively working on your craft, improving your skills, becoming a student of the game. Those are the ones that become great because they see that there's room to grow. Right. And you become great because you hear you that great. people think they're just naturally good at sales. It might just be you like talking and you're good at talking. They're just good at talking. Oh yeah. my God. That's like probably like one of my. Biggest pet peeve is like, oh, you're you'd like to talk a lot. You belong in sales. Like, no, you love to talk a lot. You're great at marketing yourself. Mm-hmm. You get more opportunities because right. you, you might enjoy the yeah. the work involved, but you're not great. You you have but to become. You think anybody's naturally great, or you have to become great at it because yeah. it's a skill, is what it is. It is absolutely mm-hmm. another thing too. I forgot active listening. That's something we've been taught. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you need to be an active listener. Then I'll tell you how to become an active listener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just listen better. That's all. That's all you got to do. So, yeah. what is active listening? How do you put that into practice? So, for us, and we spend a lot of time inside our sales training on this, right? But active listening, really, it comes down to finding out what someone truly wants. So, when they say something, there's usually two or three layers deeper for what they're actually trying to convey. And so, if someone asks a question, our default, we've been trained our whole lives through schooling is to answer with the right answer. So if they ask a question, we give them the right answer, right? That's what, that's the program we've all been given our whole lives. But the reality is when someone asks you a question, there's something more behind the question or they might not have a question, asked a question in the way uh, that they know how to do it or in a way that they meant to do it because they want to protect your feelings. And so we got to mm-hmm. figure out a way to uncover the question behind the question, figure out what it really means when they tell you something. So in order to actively listen, then you need to ask questions or make statements that gets them to expand upon what they're saying, articulate more on what they're trying to tell you. And if you can do that consistently, now you're actively listening and you'll know that you did a good job because one of our closing questions is, do you feel like I understand what's going on in your world? If you did a good job, Mm. they'll answer that very positively. If you didn't do a good job, you might get a wishy-washy answer. Yeah, that's good. So a lot of those questions must come from practice because it'd be hard to script those, right? Unless you're 
consistently having very similar conversations. Yeah, it's not scripted. It's having a framework. And that's a lot of what we talk about is having a framework uh, uh, for sales. And we talk about like there's different levels to learning. Um, I'll, I'll just give you real quick, right? Just in my own mm-hmm. sales organization, for the longest time, I was screwing this up myself. Is that there's knowing what to say, and you can pick up any book. You can go through a program, knowing what to say. Mm-hmm. That gets you pretty far. That gets you decent progress. But then knowing why you say it that way. Because if you know why you say it that way, then you know exactly what to say, how to say it in any circumstance. Right? So there's mm-hmm. what to say, why is it important to say it that way. And then the third level is actually uh, committing to it. Because a lot of our sales guys, and again, this was a mistake I made for a long time in my career. A lot of our sales guys will um, learn it, but they don't commit to it. Cause like, ah, well this situation didn't require it or, you know, it didn't make sense or I didn't feel comfortable coming with a low anchor. Right. So committing mm-hmm. is actually the third level and not everyone's committed to following a process. Typically if you're in sales, if you're in sales, you're generally a person that doesn't like to follow rules. And I can mm-hmm. say that confidently cause I'm one of those people. I don't like to follow rules. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to get a person who doesn't believe in rules to follow a process. So committing is actually the third level. After the committed, the fourth level is regular practice, right? If you look at every industry, the highest paid industries are the industries where they practice the most. Why don't mm-hmm. we practice? And the fifth level is mastery. And mastery means that when you're at an appointment, look, you got barking dogs, screaming kids, TVs on, their phones ringing, like all these distractions are occurring. Can you execute your sales process at a high level in spite of all these distractions. So when you're talking about like, you know, like how long it takes, I'm of the opinion it takes years to get yep. to the mastery level. Mm-hmm. As most things should, right? right? It's not going to be an overnight thing. I don't think anybody is saying that. Um, it's, It'll it's say it, training. but a lot of people yeah. think it's possible. A lot right. of people think it's possible. It's, some people might say it and just because they're trying to sell, <laughs> sell you yeah. something. But uh, one question I had, um, is that I think I got it actually like right here behind me, never split the difference. He talks about in the mm-hmm. book, like um, there's a black swan in every negotiation. Is that something mm-hmm. that, that you think like that's in the question process? You're trying to find that. And I'll, I'll give you an example that happened to me yesterday. I, I mentioned to you before we just got a house under contract and it was, it was like the perfect situation for a seller finance. Pro- we were thinking we were probably going to come in no money down because it needed a lot of work, but we, we were there for two and a half hours with this guy for one house and found out he needed about $20,000 cash to buy his son a truck because his son really needed a truck. And that was his hesitation. So we're like, okay, we'll give you 20,000. He said, okay, I'll do it and sign a contract. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we, we could have pushed and pushed and walked away. We could have, you know, now we've, we've got a deal. We just have to give him $20,000. So it was like, that was, I was just watching that happen and learning. Like there mm-hmm. was a black swan there. We just had to find that. It took us way too much time. But is yeah. that... Is it something you think that's what you're looking for every time? Every single time. So the analogy we use is when when you run your appointment the right way, it's almost like you're playing poker where their cards are face up. Their cards are face up, your cards are face down. That is, if you ran a 10 out of 10 appointment, you know exactly what's important to them. You know why they're selling, why they need to sell now, how much money they need, what happens if they don't if they don't get that amount of money now, right? Mm-hmm. Those are all things that we want answered. 
and it's not like, hey, how much money are you going to need when you want to close? Because we ask those questions, they right. get shot down. Mm-hmm. It's like, People, hey, I don't the understand. wall goes up and they don't want to answer your yeah. questions. Yeah. So I might say something along the lines like, hey, you know, uh, you were saying you want to sell. Uh, you understand that this property is in rough shape. You know, it's hard for us to come out of money. Uh, but I, I guess you're saying you need to think about it. Like, is it because of the the process you got to think about? Oh, no, it's not the process. Oh, okay. So it's the amount of money. Like the amount of money is the reason why we're not doing business together today. And then they say, no, it's not the money. It's like, oh, I get it. It's it's me. You're just, you're uncomfortable with me. And at which point, whatever they were holding on to is going to come onto the table because A, you made an assumption that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And B, they feel bad that you feel bad because of them. And they're going to fix that yeah. right away. So uncovering black swans, that's our last ditch for uncovering black swans. Yeah, that's next level stuff. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I do want to talk a little more about your career just as you became a, a realtor and building a team. Once mm-hmm. uh, making thirty, forty thousand $40,000 selling houses wasn't what got you to here. You eventually, what, what's, what was like the progression of your career? I would say the, the progression of my career was I started off, I had a mentor uh, who was, you know, helpful. But now I know that you find a mentor who's done what you want to do. Otherwise, they can't help you, right? So I had a mentor who helped me to the best of his ability, but he couldn't get me where I wanted to go. So eventually, I hired a coach. And hiring a coach, I want to say this was late 2010, was a tough decision, you know, and is laughable looking back. But it was hard for me to make a $1,000 a month commitment, right? Like, am I prepared to spend $1,000 a month on a coach? I couldn't sleep trying to make this decision, all right? And again, it's laughable looking back, but I imagine there's probably a lot of people listening right now that struggled with that and couldn't pull the trigger, right? So I get it. Uh, but uh, the big, the, the biggest shift for me was hiring a coach, a uh, thousand bucks a month, because once I hired that coach, now I've got the process, the procedures, the mindset, everything necessary to build out a team, right? So like how to hire the right person. Uh, they're, they're writing the ads to find administrative people versus salespeople. So like our ads, Finding for finding administrative people were detail oriented and about how I needed help. It was a story about how I needed help, but it was long, right? Mm-hmm. Why would we do that? Well, a person that's administrative definitely generally want an S type personality. They will listen mm-hmm. to that whole ad, or read the whole ad, and then respond to it, right? Okay, yeah. If you read that ad and you responded to it, you're probably uh, a supportive type person. It'd be great for that role. Our ads for finding salespeople were hey, you're so gonna make money freaking short. <laughs> Right. And it was bullet pointed. We didn't have complete sentences. We didn't have paragraphs. It was just like, hey, we're looking for this. Make this amount of money. Work this many hours. Like it was just like five things. And -hmm. that was it. If that's you, hit this. Right. An administrative person, that's not enough information. They're not going to be interested in that. Mm -hmm. But a salesperson, you bottom lined it and you got them to raise their hand. And that's what we recruited. So I didn't understand these principles until I hired a coach. Mm -hmm. So. Hire a coach, I think, was probably the, the, the biggest thing. And after hiring a coach, I went from a struggling realtor uh, to I was consistently top 40 in the Phoenix market. We're, we got 45,000 realtors out here, right? Uh, 15, 16, 17. Uh, and then I can't remember it was 14 or 18. One year, I was just short. Um, but I was doing 100 plus transactions a year as a realtor. And I was a top 40 realtor year in, year out. right? And one of the years mm-hmm. that I didn't do 100, I was like three short. I was like, find someone that wants to buy or sell in December. Now, <laughs> couldn't find it, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, so I was just shy of in four years in a row of doing 100 uh, uh, realtor transactions a year. Uh, 
that doesn't happen until I got a coach who can walk me through the tactical issues, the strategic issues, uh, the, the mindset issues, all the issues you have from a person with raw talent, but not a ton of know-how to being able to execute a vision. I needed someone to, to help me along the way. And that's because that coach has been through it before. Like you'd never hired salespeople and administrative people. Yeah. You wouldn't have naturally thought of the difference between them. But he has exactly. he's hired them and he's dealt with right. them before. Oh, and and look, I didn't even, I never even got to work with the coach directly. I got to work, you know, as one of the coaches within the coaching program. Mm-hmm. Tell but like the head guy, yeah. right? He was a top 10 realtor for Remax in the world 15 years in a row. He knew what he was talking about. Yeah, he's seen it before. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's good stuff because it just accelerates a learning curve. That's why people pay for that yeah. because it eventually started making you a lot more than a thousand dollars a month, correct? Oh, significantly more. Another thing more. too, yeah. yeah, it was one of the best ROIs I ever had. So the other thing too was I didn't understand the power of marketing, right? Like we all know the importance of marketing, but seeing unique selling propositions, asking the question, why should I do business with you versus all my other options, including doing nothing at all? If you can't answer that question in marketing copy, they're not going to pick up the phone and call you, right? So we had to learn how to write copy that was compelling enough that someone else would actually pick up the phone and call you. And then the power of lead mags. We didn't call them lead mags, right? In 2010, no one talked about lead mags. In 2010, it was mm-hmm. just a downloadable PDF. I'm going to send you this report. Right? Go over here. I'm going to send you a report. Now we know they're lead magnets, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of our marketing was based off giving lead magnets. You know, Here are the questions to ask a realtor before you hire one. Uh, what do you need to know? Uh, what you should do to your home before you uh, list it with a realtor to get the most amount of money. Uh, what you need to know about preparing. Um, what you need to know about you know preparing for a move. Uh, how, what to do to prepare a move when you have kids, right? We had all these different reports mm-hmm. that people would download, and guess what? These are people that want to sell their houses. Gotcha. So, so that, you got in that, front of them before they want to sell their house. Yeah, that, I want to d- dive into that just to be clear so people understand. So that was like a downloadable PDF or something like that. And you'd run a mm-hmm. Facebook ad and someone gives their name, phone number, uh, email. Facebook ad. Uh, SEO. Google, pe- Google, Google Words. Google ads, yeah. uh, newspaper, right? Marketing mm-hmm. newspaper back in the day. That's how old yeah. I am for everyone that's watching. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, so it's just a lead mate. Every, everyone knows that now. But Everyone uh, knows that now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But th- when was this that you were doing that? 2010. 2010. Yeah. So that was, you're probably killing it with that. It was like, yeah. Oh. Like Facebook marketing didn't exist in 2010, right? It was like it was a, it was mm-hmm. a different landscape. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how does that turn into founding a bank? Because I'm, I'm just <laughs> interested. You'd never so, really. So you go from realtor, right? Mm-hmm. To a, at some point, you're like, man, this realtor business is stupid. Uh, because mm-hmm. working with a homeowner, selling their house, setting a record for the highest sale in the neighborhood brings the homeowner no satisfaction, no gratitude, uh, no gratitude whatsoever. No matter what you did, it wasn't good enough. The joke I make is like selling a house with a realtor to a homeowner as a realtor is almost like serving an Asian parent, right? Like no matter what, it just, it wasn't good enough, right? <laughs> That's the experience selling uh, someone's house, buying someone's house at a significant discount where you make a lot of money. These people love you because you helped them out of a difficult spot. So then you look at it, it's like, okay, I do this side of the business. I don't make as much money and they don't like me. And I do this side of the business. I make a lot more money and they love me. Hey, let's spend more energy on this side, right? And that's the wholesaling and flipping side. So mm-hmm. along the way, uh, we, we wholesale, we get good at wholesaling. Um, I become a sales trainer 
And that's how I worked my way into collective genius as a sales trainer. And so being a preferred uh, uh, sales trainer inside of collective genius has helped my business a lot. Right. So at one point, I think we had like 55 clients paying us a thousand bucks a month, right. For, for sales training, Mm. um, getting to that level, being in that room, Jack Bosch, uh, he's a, he's the land guy, right. Um, he's posting inside the Facebook group, inside the collective genius Facebook groups, like, Hey, um, if anyone needs a bank, like, you know, I'm opening one, (laughs) I'm opening one at the end of the year. I just sent him a message like, what do you mean you're opening a bank, right? And we're colleagues and we're both in Phoenix. Like, what yeah. do you mean you're opening a bank? How do I get more information? He's like, hey, you know, if you want, I can connect you with the president uh, and the and the chairman. It's like, yeah, please, let's do that. Have a, had a conversation with them. Uh, checked with my buddy who uh, I looked at this guy, this guy, the 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 uh, chairman uh, is the chief. He was a, he was a chief of staff or assistant chief of staff to a couple of governors for the state of Arizona. And he's, and I saw that he served in the state legislature. So I got a buddy who works, you know, at the state legislature and I call him and say, Hey, you know, think about investing in a bank. What do you know about this guy? He's like, Oh yeah, that's the guy. If anyone has questions about banking, that's the guy. It's like, perfect. So then I hold the, hold the meeting, talk to my buddy and they needed some money to uh, get the bank off, off the ground. And I was in a very fortunate place in my life where I was able to invest uh, to be a co-founder, not the main founder, but to be a co-founder uh, of the bank. Yeah, that's a cool story. <laughs> and, and I think the story is worth, and hopefully it's a good investment for you, but I think the story is worth <laughs> just as much. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. And uh, so getting in, getting into the wholesaling, what does that business look like? Because it sounds similar, like you're just helping mm-hmm. people sell their houses, but it really is yeah. kind of a different business model. Well, it's, I look at, and this is, this is not going to be a popular opinion. Um, I look at wholesalers and realtors as basically the same people, right? Like mm-hmm. wholesalers hate realtors, realtors hate wholesalers, right? It's the same thing. For me, I think if you were a third party on the outside looking in, you couldn't tell the difference. Um, it, for me, it's like the difference between Protestants and Catholics, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're in Ireland, do you drink cups of your Coke, right? Are you Protestant or Catholic? On the outside looking in, you and me, we go to Ireland today, we can't tell the difference between a Protestant and a Catholic. But man, they know. Because right? yeah. <laughs> those small differences cause them to just hate each other. So realtors and wholesalers, we do the same thing. We look for homeowners that want to sell their house. We have transaction coordinators. We have VAs. We have title companies. We have escrow. We deal with funding. We market the property. We market to find homeowners. We market to find buyers. We do all the same things, right? Um mm-hmm. The difference is, is that wholesalers are looking for people with extremely strong motivation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so it costs more to find those people. Realtors, for the most part, don't want to spend money on marketing. They want to spend as little as possible on marketing. I would say realtors are just focused on the wrong avatar because they can make more money if they focus on the right avatars, if they're re- willing to uh, spend money on marketing. But again, I think the nuance between a wholesaler and a realtor, they're the same freaking people. Like we can complain that realtors don't answer the phones, but how many bandit signs have you called where they didn't answer the phone? How many, yeah. uh, how many times you got an email blast and you called them on the, on the phone, they didn't answer it, right? Like it, it's, what's it? It's, uh, you, you point, when you point one finger out, four fingers point back, right? It's a, yeah. it's the same exact thing. So for me, it's humorous to hear them complain about each other. It's like, you guys are just brothers and sisters. Yeah. It's just, 
a kind of a little bit of a different seller and a little bit of a different buyer, but the fundamentals <laughs> mostly there. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, you, I, I assume you invest in real estate, buying rental properties mm-hmm. to build, you know, personal portfolio and wealth. What has yeah. kind of your strategy been there, especially now interest rates being around 8%. Well, I can say right now I'm not buying anything, not buying right anything now. right now. Yep. Um, but I will say what I do now is not necessarily what I would prescribe, but it's a function of the damage I got from starting in 07, right? So I bought my first property in 05, uh, bought another one in 06, uh, bought my primary residence in 06, and I started my, I got real, licensed in real estate in 07, right? So I, I got to go through this whole cycle of just mm-hmm. things falling apart, right? Mm-hmm. And was that, was that in Phoenix too? Because Phoenix, oh, it was what I've been told, was hit pretty hard. Yeah, it was horrific, right? So I cut my teeth then in this market, and I got to see what real wealth looks like. Real wealth came off the sidelines in the crash. These guys are coming in with proof of funds, millions of dollars. Right? I had one client, uh, had $18 million, and he was just gobbling up properties. We had guys in Salt Lake, right, gobbling, combining money to buy assets. And then... Right. Uh, as, I want to say like 10, 09, 10 or 11, Blackstone comes in the market. Right. And they're coming in. It's like, hey, I need a proof of funds. The proof of funds was $83 million. Right. Right. So you see what real wealth looks like. And real wealth buys things cash. So again, I can't necessarily prescribe this because this goes against every book. But the properties we have, we own them all free and clear. Right. So we don't own as many mm-hmm. properties. But man, when things suck, guess who's sleeping pretty good at night? Yep. Steve Trang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that that's something that is hard to do unless you have a business generating a ton of cash. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, wholesaling and flipping, it's, it's a high cash. Mm-hmm. It's a high cash business, right? I mean, it's a cash cow if you do it right. Yep. Because there's a lot yeah. of people coming in just, you know, uh, right now creative finance is really popular and it does make mm-hmm. a lot of sense. And yeah. people are buying sub two deals with negative equity and who knows what's going to happen if anything happens yeah. to that, but so I'll, what I'll say on that is what I've learned being in business now, like, again, it's like 18 years since I bought my first rental property, which we foreclosed on, by the way. Um, the, the things I've learned along the way is that it's not so much about accumulating wealth as fast as possible as it is in making sure you never have to hit the reset button. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, the things I worry about, again, you know, take it for what it's worth. I'm an older guy. Uh, from, what, uh, from what I've seen, when things go bad and you have to hit the reset button, you don't actually even reset at zero. You reset past zero because now you got to make up. If things go really bad, you got to make up for not just the loss of money that you had. You got to make up money to pay back some past debt. But you also got to repair your relationship and reputations, right? If you're borrowing money and you lost someone's money, you got to redo that. You got to fix that. And your reputation, right? Like if you go back, it's like, hey, I got all these doors. Let's say you got 20 doors with negative equity. And now if things go bad and you got to start over, you went from 20 to zero. There's questions like, how did you go from 20 to zero? Mm -hmm. So I think that just... I know it's not a popular opinion, but I think it's just be careful getting skinnier deals with less equity or no equity and tighter cash flow 
because I can tell you, uh, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I had these great aspirations. And then you get your first crappy tenant, and you realize, wow, one crappy tenant can cost you like twenty thousand in a year, right? We mm-hmm. had one tenant who was thought it was okay to have all our animals live in the house, right? Mm-hmm. That was not a three thousand dollar carpet situation. That yeah, was, was like, I want to say, subfloors. The walls are messed up. The air vents. Yeah, I think it, I think it was twenty thousand dollars to get the house back in rentable condition, right? Mm-hmm. So like, and, for and if you're cash flowing two hundred bucks a month, that's you know what seven eight years of cash flow right there. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so I think just I I, I think that people it, it's not bad. It's not bad to um, to not know, right? Because if you don't know, you have the resources, the energy, and everything else to, to figure out what you don't know. Like let's 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 close that knowledge gap. The worst place to be is to know something that's not true. That's the worst place to be, because now you're not asking questions and you're exposing yourself to risk. And when you're exposing yourself to risk, that's when you have to hit the reset button. And again, the reset button is not just losing time that you put all to get to here. It's losing the time, like, losing the time and money that got you to here, and making it up for the money that you lost if you owed money, and repairing this relationships and so on, reputation. I'm 44 years old. I don't have time to hit a reset button. I'm playing more conservatively, conservatively today. Mm-hmm. That and that story is happening to a lot of people. So, what, like right now 2023 that's happening to people what kind of advice do you have for that being someone that's seen more of the market cycles Mm -hmm. and what has happened um extreme ownership right jocko willing wrote wrote a great book uh we had a situation last year right when when the market shifted quickly Mm -hmm. i I had to call my private lender i said hey uh on this deal we're losing so much money that i can't pay you back on this deal can i have a few months to make you whole and she was okay with it, right? Because I called her before it closed and just kind mm-hmm. of got her up to speed. And so I think the big thing is extreme ownership, figuring out what I did wrong, not figuring out, oh man, the market shifted. We all got screwed, right? No one wants to do business, no one wants to do business with that guy. So it's the, hey, here's what happened. Here's what I learned. Here's what we're going to do to make sure it never happens again. Here's how I'm going to make you whole. It might take me three months. It might take me 15 years but I will make you whole, right? Having a plan, executing a plan, communicating the plan. I think these are all things that are extremely important, right? To rebuilding uh, when things go wrong. But if you're not going to take extreme ownership and you can say, well, you know, the market changed or uh, the guy, my coach didn't tell me that, right? Mm. Um, I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. No one wants to do business with that guy. Yeah. It's all excuses. Yep. Yep. That's, uh, I mean, I, I've gotten calls from people that are like trying to track down people that like I've known and like, mm-hmm. Hey, this, uh, you know, I was doing a flip with this guy or this lady actually, and can't get a hold of her anymore. And uh, like, and I'm seeing it daily on social media, stuff like that. Yeah. When people start ghosting you, Unfortunately, you found out too late, but those are the people you never want to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to interact with again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, crazy stuff. But um, it's the reality of the world we're in today. 
It is. Yeah. And what, so to prevent that, that like, that's kind of your whole strategy. You're just all cash, not going to borrow money. Like we're just going to, uh, get rich for sure. Instead of get rich quick. (laughs) Yeah. Get rich slow. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's not like I'm not wanting to get a lot of wealth, right? It's not that at all. It's just, again, I don't want to be in a position where I have to start over. And I'm not opposed to debt, right? Like we can do the debt thing, right? Just maybe not be maximum leverage, maybe 30%, uh, you know, uh, or 70% loan to value, right? Give yourself a buffer, something, right, to protect yourself. But more, above all else, make sure that you're cash flowing a good amount so you have reserves for when bad things happen because bad things will happen. It's not like I hope something, nothing bad happens. Bad things will 100% happen. Got a mentor. He talks about time and randomness. Bad things will happen. You don't know when, you don't know how, you don't know what it's going to look like. All you can do is do your best to prepare yourself for, you know, these black swan events. Mm. Yeah. I was looking at a, a couple multifamily deals actually in the last couple of weeks. And one of them, the debt service was like $9,900 a month. And the current rent was like 8,000. Like they're, they're, they're losing almost $2,000 a month and they're trying to sell it, you know? So, um, if you go to the bank, you're getting a worse loan than they got a year and a half ago. So I, I, it's, it's crazy. (laughs) You know, I I don't, you know, I'm, I'm 23. So like in 2007, 2008, I was seven, eight years old. Mm -hmm. Wish wish I could have been buying houses then, but um, unfortunately I couldn't. So, um, this is a new experience to me. It's, it's, um, I, I started in real estate in one of the greatest times of mm-hmm. ever, ever to get yeah. into real estate. So dealing with that's been crazy. But um, yeah, I, we, we talked about a lot of stuff. I really appreciate the tactical sales piece because I always want to learn something. I learned something there. Just the at the end of it, knowing that your question is going to be, do you feel like I understood your situation? Mm-hmm. Getting towards that question and hoping you get a yes is just now you're on the same page. Now we can work together. We can do business transaction. Exactly. So that, that was my big takeaway. I hope somebody else got something. Is there anything else you'd want to leave? Like, I know you've got a podcast, you've got programs, anything mm-hmm. you want to let people know how to get involved? Yeah, I would say that, um, and we have the real estate disruptors podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, as far as sales goes, you know, um, we do charge for it. Yeah. But I do think that this is the single most valuable skill you can learn. Um, marketing is important, right? Sales is important. Finance is important. Leadership is important. I think these are all really important things. Um, leadership and sales though, are the only two skills and they're both intertwined, uh, are the only two skills that you can use anywhere and everywhere. And what I mean by that is I use this stuff when I'm leading my organization, right? If you've got employees who feel like you're not listening to them, (laughs) they're going to leave you, right? Like appreciation or lack of appreciation is the number one reason why people leave. It's not the money. They'll come for the money, but they'll stay for the culture. So the inability to appreciate someone is the reason why they'll leave more often than not. Well, then how do we generate uh, or, or demonstrate appreciation? Validating them as a human being, learning how to communicate with another human being, understanding what they're saying, asking the question behind the question, having them extend more on what they just share with you, right? Seeking to understand them. That's all covered in our sales curriculum. The relationship I have with my kids, you know, um, growing up, again, I talked about immigrant family. I'm the oldest of six boys in an immigrant family. There was no psychological safety for crying, right? Having emotions. 
Uh, I've got three girls. So I want them to have their feelings, process their feelings and having a plan after like, you know, they know what they feel. They know why they feel that way. Okay. Now what do we do with this information? Right. But Mm -hmm. we let them sit in their feelings. Well, then if that's the case, when they're upset, we don't go like, you know, like get over it. We don't say stop crying. It's like, Hey, and, and we don't say, Hey, why are you crying? Because why you're crying removes that psychological safety and they don't feel comfortable sharing. It's the reason why our kids shut down. So I'll ask them like, Hey, how come you're crying? What happened today that made you feel this way? And now they can speak on their emotions. And after we speak on their emotions, now we can talk about like what happened, the, 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 the causes for it. And now we can figure out what we want to do with this information. Right. Mm-hmm. So now I can have a better relationship with my kids. So you look at all these different applications in learning how to be a better salesperson it translates everywhere, right? It makes your life easier. It makes, and by the way, how often are we negotiating? Just remove the houses component. How often are we negotiating? Are we negotiating if we're doing a strategic acquisition, a partnership, uh, raising capital, uh, dealing with the title company? Like there's all these situations where we're negotiating all day, every day. Mm. Can you justify spending $97 a month for our sales training <laughs> if it can improve all these re- different relationships. I like to think so, but that's really up to, you know, the listeners. Yeah. The one thing that um, my friend Gino Palumbo used to do, like he'd talk about your sales training all the time. This was years ago. And we would go to restaurants and he would, he'd like the, the going negative thing is like the one thing that he, he taught me is like, there's not any way we could get a free dessert, you know, like, or like, there's no way you could get us a free dessert, I'm sure. Right. And then are like, well, you know, maybe I can, cause it, it, it's yeah. just kind of playing off how you say it and how, what your knee jerk reaction is to mm-hmm. a question or a statement like that. And you'd get a yeah. free dessert or a free beer, something like that. So it's like little, it has nothing to do with business, but it, it works in just everyday life. It's just interactions with people. Yeah. We had a guy, uh, Mike, and he's a taller guy and he never pays uh, for the emergency exit, exit row. He just always tells them how they can't do that for him for free. And he'd be like, oh man, I didn't know and blah, blah. And he, he said more often than not, he got a free upgrade to the emergency exit row. So he had more leg room. Wow. He's like, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't give me that upgrade. I know I'm really tall. I didn't pay for it. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah I could do that. It's empty. <laughs> it's yeah. just a click. So yeah, it 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 has nothing to do with business, but it it can make your life better in a lot of different ways. So I I think we can uh, end it there. It's been a, like a packed episode. Truly. I I really appreciate everything you've had to share and the time. Uh, Where can people hear more about you and get in touch? Uh, The best place is, uh, so we have our website, salesdisruptors.com. If you want to connect with us on Instagrams at steve.trang. Um, so I think, uh, we, we do put a lot of free material out there. So if you want to check that out, uh, but again, you know, the fastest way to get really good at sales is join our sales community. We do three live trainings every single week at salesdisruptors.com. Perfect. And to anyone still listening, thank you very much. Reach out to Steve and we'll catch you on the next one.